and welcome to today's episode of the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. I am Stephen P. Wood. I'm a critical care nurse practitioner and fellow in extreme and wilderness medicine, and I'll be your podcast host for today. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, we're excited to have you joining us today here at World Extreme Medicine. And I'm thrilled to be joined today by a long-term friend and colleague, Mr. Richard Garner. Uh, Richard is a career safety and security professional with global expertise in risk mitigation and threat management. He retired from the U.S. Naval Special Operations, but has continued to work in both high threat and personal protection operations, both domestically and abroad. Richard has managed and conducted security operations in support of multiple nonprofit organizations, the U.S. State Department, and many other government agencies. He's visited over 100 different nations and brings a unique perspective to global travel and risk mitigation, which is going to be the discussion of today. And welcome, Rich. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm excited to be here and excited to share some information that hopefully will keep somebody safe down the road. That sounds great. And so, Richard, what I wanted to talk about today is what I think you know is, is really an important topic, um, one that's often overlooked, which is you know your personal per, uh, safety um, during travel. We have you know people here in World Extreme Medicine that travel for work, that travel for pleasure, um, hopefully a little combination of both. You know, we all like to think that what we do, we do safely and that we've, you know, planned appropriately. But I wanted to talk to you because you're an expert in this area. Um, what I want to, you know, kind of really focus on is, you know, how do we stay safe during, you know, humanitarian um, deployments and humanitarian operations? Um, you know, I was lucky enough to see you speak on this topic on several, of, several occasions. You know, I've learned so much from you. Um, you, I've had the opportunity to hear you speak on this topic multiple times. Um, you've changed how I think about travel, not just for pleasure uh, uh, or deployments, but you know, even just you know, a road trip for the day. About just thinking about you know how I'm going to stay safe and, and what kind of information I want to have with me, who I want to notify about my location, and, and all sorts of other factors. So what I wanted to you know talk about you today are. A couple of different things, um, but I'd like to start with, you know, something I think that we should all start with when we're thinking about deploying with, you know, a humanitarian group or, um, or in some sort of rescue mission, which is, you know, how do we vet these different organizations? You know, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of different NGOs of different organizations out there that you know deploy people uh, for humanitarian missions for rescue missions. Um, certainly some of them are incredibly well known, you know, Doctors Without uh, Borders and, and many others, uh, but others that are smaller, um, you know, operations. What would be your advice for how to vet these organizations and what should you be looking for when you're looking at, you know, deploying with these different agencies? That's a great question, Steve. And I think the first thing that I would want to do is find out, do they actually have a presence? Is this somebody that's got a social media presence? Do they have a web presence? Do they, is it a nonprofit? What sort of fundraising do they do? And then I would actually, of course, I would review what they've published, what they have as far as pictures and then, and how they travel. And then I would pick up the phone and I would call them kind of old school and call and find out and talk to their security manager and find out what sort of things, safety and security measures they have in place for when they travel? And do they brief people? Do they have a training program prior to you saying, I want to go and work with you? Do they have 
something that they're going to provide to you to help you with your personal safety and security. The thing to remember is, number one, you are responsible for your own personal safety. Even if you're traveling with an organization to a faraway place to help people, you have the most to lose with your own safety and security. And so pay real close attention to that and ask questions. There is no such thing as a stupid question. And I think a lay person asking questions is one of the most powerful things in almost any venue and in any circumstance. And so just ask, what what do you provide? How do you do this? How do you do that? And then if you don't know, then find somebody that's done work in this arena, similar to me, and ask them, what should I ask? And could you help me out with this? Because Steve, you've done that in the past. Ask me some questions. I just sent me a quick email and I gave you some information that I thought might be relevant to your situation. No, absolutely. And that's, that's been extremely helpful. Um, and you know, that's something I, you know, that, that I think people don't oftentimes think about, you know, they're thinking about lots of other logistics, but safety for some reason seems to take, you know, uh, a, a place in the back and, uh, but it really should be at the forefront and really getting, you know, I think organizations that uh, pride themselves on safety are going to appreciate when you call them, contact them, and you know, uh, discuss what's your safety plan and, and how are you going to you know enact it. So I think you know that's you're right. Pick up that phone and 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 chat and get some information. And you know, if if they're not um, willing to share that information or if they don't have a plan, I mean that's a red flag to me, and I would assume for you as well that uh, you know, this might not be the best organization to be deploying with. Absolutely. Now, um, you know, there are times, and, and you know, I've encountered this as well, and, and uh, you know, this is when I've, I've reached out to you previously. There are times that, or there are certain organizations that are responding to places kind of on an ad-needed basis. Um, you know, I've been involved in uh, you know, deploying uh, personnel to Nepal and to Haiti, um, and kind of doing, you know, some groundwork on that. Um, these were, you know, uh, organizations that hadn't previously worked in those arenas. Uh, and so there's obviously, you know, some concern about, you know, uh, the, the security and safety uh, around that type of operation. What would be your recommendation if you're, you know, going to be deploying um, with an organization that's you know, doing something of that nature, an unneeded basis uh, to a new place they haven't, you know, established um, you know, kind of operations in before. What are some things to think about uh, or what should you be looking for from these organizations in that regard? So I think the first thing a person would want to do when going to a strange new location, especially uh, post-disaster or post-conflict, is go to the state.gov, the U.S. Department, State Department's website, and read up on that particular country. There's There's advisories all through their website about traveling in different regions of the world. And what this is going to do, it's not going to be an all-revealing information of that particular country, but what you're going to do is start familiarizing yourself with the atmosphere surrounding travel and working in a particular area. Now, when you uh, go to vet the people that you're going to be deploying with or traveling with, you'll have some very intelligent questions to ask and you'll get good, relevant information, and they will appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to do that. So again, I would just study up on an area, talk to the people that you're traveling with, ask them the the best questions you think you can ask, and take it from there. 
that's great advice. Great advice. And, uh, you know, it, that's, a, that's a website I think that, you know, everyone should have at their fingertips. If you're thinking of traveling, thinking of doing humanitarian work, um, you know, that, that's something you should be, be uh, utilizing as a resource. It's also just really interesting to read. And if, even if you're not going somewhere, just want to kind of get an idea of what that website offers, you know, go there, check it out and, uh, you know, look at, at some of that information. Um, so let's talk a little bit, uh, let's say, you're, you know, we've chosen our NGO, we've decided we're going to, you know, do a deployment. What are some of the things to think about, you know, kind of before leaving with regard to, um, you know, document safety and security? Uh, we'll start with first, and then I'll talk a little bit about, you know, com communication. So, you know, I'm going to be traveling, uh, you know, I clearly you know, I have a full-time job, I have, you know, family and friends and th things of that nature. What are some things I can do to, you know, ensure that, you know, people uh, or that my information is going to be safe, uh, but also that, you know, someone has my information so that if something were to happen, you know, they they're able to access that and to to, you know, um, maybe contact me or contact, you know, other people that uh, need to be you know, notified of certain events. So one of the first things you're going to do, of course, we all travel with a passport. And as American citizens, um, that is your ticket to come home again as well. And there's there's things in place, programs in place with embassies around the world. If you did lose your passport, they would they have a way to vet you and identify who you are and get you back home again. But your passport is the most important thing that you're going to travel with as you head abroad. And in that light, make sure that your passport travels on your body, preferably in the upper half of your body, up in a shirt pocket and a zippered pocket if possible. Never, ever, ever carry it in a bag or a purse because those things can be stolen. And I've seen that happen in a blink of an eye. Somebody's bag is gone and their passport, their money, everything's gone. So things that you can't live without, put them on your body. You know, my background is a special operator. We had what we called our first line equipment. And that was the stuff that was going to stay on your body no matter what. And then you had things that you wanted, but you could always dump them and run if you needed to. So you, some of your first line equipment is going to be your passport. And certainly you're going to want to carry whatever vaccination records that are necessary. I carry those in my passport, fold them up, put them in my passport and put a rubber band around it so they can't slide out and then put that in my pocket. So I've got my shot record, got my passport, and then you're going to make sure that, and if you're traveling with a legitimate organization, they're going to have recommended vaccinations and then required vaccinations. Many countries in the world, of course, now they require COVID vaccines. They require yellow fever and other things. And so make sure you're familiar with what that's going to take. Another thing I would carry with me is if you have any significant medical conditions or history, just take the time to print it out on a piece of paper, fold it up and tuck that in your passport as well. So that if uh, you're incapacitated and you have something that you need medically, there's some documentation that's on your body that can verify that. Now, I remember you telling me something interesting that you can have up to five different U.S. passports. Is that correct? No, sir. I think uh, <laughs> the most you can have, the most you can have, I believe, uh, I have two. And the reason yeah. I have two is when I'm applying for visas and still needing to travel or applying for visas in multiple countries, uh, your first passport's good for 10 years. Your second passport, I think, is good for four years. And okay. so 
Uh, currently, I have two, but I don't think you can have five unless your name. No, is I think uh, I might be exaggerating with five, but you can you can have more than one passport, right? You can have up to. Absolutely, and you can get additional pages added to your passport. In fact, I think I showed you that one that I had that had two sets of additional pages, an extra 52 pages in it, and it was full front to back. No, absolutely. And what would be the reason for having more than one passport? What are some things that, you know, for you, obviously, you know, being in special operations, there might be some, some reasons that you can't divulge, but, you know, for Joe Citizen like myself, what would be a reason that I would want to maybe a second passport to carry. So absolutely. So if you are, let's just say you're going to go to a country that requires a visa and many, many of them do, and you have to drop your passport at their embassy in Washington, DC or send it via FedEx, but you still need to travel at the same time. And so you're traveling on passport two while you're getting visas in passport one, or let's say you have an upcoming trip and you need visas for four different countries and you need them fairly quick, you can send your one passport to a couple of embassies to get visas and send your second one to the others. And now it just compresses time so that you can get out the door a little bit quicker. Yeah, there's nothing more nerve wracking than sending your passport out to another country for sure, for sure. Um, and that's great advice. Uh, so what would be you know, your advice? There are organizations I know that actually when you deploy they require you give you give them your passport to hold on to um, i've always felt uncomfortable doing that um, but there are some organizations that demand that the second passport kind of relieves some of that anxiety what are your thoughts on that uh, well if you know that going in if you show up somewhere and they say give me your passport i'm going to say give me a ticket home so you know i'm not going <laughs> to Remember, I am responsible for my personal safety and security. And if you ever get the feeling, man, this doesn't feel right, get out of there. There's no, there's no reason to incur additional risk. Absolutely no reason whatsoever. So if you start getting a bad feeling, then act on that feeling and you have the rest of your life to wonder if you made a good or a bad decision, but you have the rest of your life to do it. Nothing bad has happened to you. So um, you can get a, uh, a passport card, just a little card that uh, can fit in your wallet that can act as your passport. It's not your primary passport, but you can use that. So if you go somewhere and they want to hold on to your passport just for document security, because a lot of times I've headed up some groups where I was worried that people were going to keep track of their passports. I felt like me hanging on to them was probably a better idea. So I do understand where groups would want to do that, but you can carry, you can get issued to you from the State Department, a passport card, and you can carry that uh, in addition to your passport. Yeah, that's great advice. And um, I've taken you up on that advice, and, it, and on it, it, it really relieves a lot of anxiety about, you know, having those documents. Um, aside from passports, aside from your vaccination records and medical records, any other important documents that you think, you know, should travel uh, with you or that you should make known to people you're traveling with prior to your travel uh, so that they know where they are, could access them? Do you need like things like a birth certificate or anything else you think there are useful kind of documents to, to have access to? Well, if you do have useful documents that you're not carrying with you, of course, you would want to have somebody um, have access to those back at home. But along the lines of communications, another thing that you're going to want to carry with you is a printed list of all important phone numbers to carry with you. 
don't count on your phone storing all those numbers in your phone and then you get someplace and uh your phone dies on you and you can't get it charged. You can't get the data out of it. And you don't even know your own home phone number anymore if somebody has a home phone. So I would carry a printed list of all important phone numbers with me in addition to uh, the other documents that you mentioned. Yeah, it's important. It, you know, we used to spend so much time memorizing our phone numbers and now I don't even, I, you know, I don't even think I know my wife's phone number anymore. It's just, you know, I type in her name and up it comes and you dial it. Um, but, uh, that's important information to have. And especially, you know, we rely so much on these you know, little devices, which are you know, really handheld computers and they carry a lot of information. But I, you know, I maybe call me old school if you'd like, but I duplicate everything on paper. Um, you know, I'm made fun of for doing this. But when I, you know, get ready to leave, I have a piece of paper with all my flight numbers, flight times, gates, all handwritten out. Um, I have lists of phone numbers, all that information. I duplicate it, so I have it in my pocket. I have it in my carry-on. I have it in my check-in luggage, so it's all there. Um, it's important because you just don't know when certain things are going to fail, and you oftentimes have to go back to that old pen and paper, you know, to to access that that really important data. So, good advice. Good advice. One of the things that happened to me, Steve, is I took a client. A, a small group of corporate clients to 44 countries in a 90 day period in 2019. And before I went, we had virtually all of our travel. We were going to a different country every other day. And so I had everything printed out and I kept it in a binder that lived in the top of my backpack so that I wasn't fumbling around in some faraway country for my phone, trying to look up a specific flight or specific ticket number, et cetera. And many times we would be in a place where it was a little less refined than we're used to being in. And people would be digging for their phone and they'd say, no, no, I want to see it printed on a piece of paper because the piece of paper meant it was official. If it was in your phone, it wasn't. So um, I carry all my travel information printed uh, just like you might seem old school, but uh, I got to go there and back again. So it was Absolutely. enjoyable. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so uh, to, we'll move off document uh, stuff, and if there's anything else you think we want to, you know, catch up on in the end, we can cover it. When we're thinking about, you know, you talked about what a, you know, organization's kind of safety and security plan is, and who they have for security personnel. Um, what are some of the features that you look at for, you know, who should be providing, you know, security uh, with for these organizations and you know, should you be vetting that or should you be relying on that organization if they've got someone in place that they've vet, vetted them? I, I would just find out from them. Certainly, you're not going to vet their security providers because that would be virtually impossible right. for a lay person to do. But as long as you feel comfortable with their security plan and their in-house security personnel, and usually just about any organization is going to have at least a security manager who is managing those things as you travel around the globe. As long as you feel comfortable with them, then I would go ahead and follow through on that feeling and, and not worry about trying to vet the locals. I've, I've shown up in places and because I trusted the people that linked me up with who I was meeting on the ground, I went ahead and, and went with them. Had I not had a trusted agent that referred me to somebody, uh, I certainly wouldn't have done it. So again, you know, do you feel comfortable or not? And if you don't know, ask, just ask questions constantly. 
Yeah, per, I think I think that's that's the most important thing is just you know asking and just and and making sure that you're communicating with those with those people to make sure uh, you're ensuring safety. Um, you and I both have friends who probably don't travel anywhere without a low flying satellite and uh, sat phone. Um, and you know we you you probably know who I'm referring to uh, as an inside uh, kind of piece of information, but. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about communication. You know, we all rely very much on our cell phones. We just talked about how important it is to, you know, have a list of phone numbers available um, for when that kind of fails. Are there any kind of things you would recommend for backup communication? Anything you should think about, you know, for, you know, uh, what should I, you know, what can I do if, you know, my communication device, our, you know, iPhone, Android, whatever you have, has fails? Are there other things you should think about in that realm? about, you know, kind of communications and, and contact. So there are available and, and not as common as you might think, but there's GPS tracking devices that you can take with you as you travel globally if you feel like that's necessary. One of the things I'd recommend is first thing you do is find out, will my phone work in the country that I'm traveling to? And your cell phone provider, just go to their website and, and look and see. I was fortunate when I carried my phone to all those countries a couple of years ago, it, it worked flawlessly in all but three of them. And in three of them, it was a handheld brick. And I have no idea why it didn't work. And in those countries, uh, the carrier website said that it would work, but it wouldn't. So maybe a person might want to pick up a phone, a nice clean phone that, that's unlocked and in almost every airport in the world, it's possible to buy a local cellular SIM chip buy some minutes to put on it, and now you can talk with a local phone and carry it with you from country to country. If you're going to multiple destinations, buy you a new SIM card and put it in your phone, and that way you, you're constantly in touch. Uh, preferable that you use your own because you got a lot of data stored in it, but there's countries in the world, we won't go into cybersecurity today, but uh, there's areas of the world where you don't even want to turn your phone on. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought of that, to be honest. Maybe we should go into cybersecurity today. Well, we can leave that for another time, but certainly um, that's that's interesting. But yeah, so those kind of what people call burner phones, um, not a bad idea to pick those up, have that as a, as a backup device or as a primary device, um, I guess, particularly if you're going to certain uh, locales, certain areas. Uh, I didn't know you could honestly, you know, look at your carrier and uh, contact your carrier and see where they you know, will or will not uh, have access. So that's, that's you know, really an important step to make sure because communication is key. Uh, as everyone knows, having that, you know, availability to, to make a phone call, uh, to stay in, in contact is, is important. And so either getting that SIM card or getting one of those burner phones, uh, you know, at the airport uh, makes real good sense. Um, any other thoughts on uh, kind of that, you know, pre-deployment documents, um, you know, communication, any other thoughts on those topics? No, nothing specific, Steve. I mean, we could talk for days and days on this stuff. Um, and a lot of it comes to us as we're on the move somewhere. We go, huh, wish I had done you fill in the blank. But uh, that's where <laughs> right. um, one of the documents that I prepare while I'm traveling is a little uh, lessons learned. And I just carry a little notebook with me. And when I go, oh, darn, wish I had thought of that, I go ahead and just write it down. And then next time I don't have to forget it. Great advice. Great advice. So let's talk about um, then, you know, 
God forbid, um, you know, there are occasions where, you know, people are going to uh, encounter, um, you know, something that, uh, you know, all of a sudden becomes either an unsafe environment or maybe they're being detained by, you know, a local agency or maybe they're being targeted um, by groups that, you know, are looking for travelers, looking for Americans, looking for Europeans uh, to target for various reasons, be it kidnapping or, or other things. Um, I remember, you know, listening into one of your talks on on kidnapping and and how to, uh, you know, what to do if you're ever kidnapped and and what would you know wh how do you uh, interact with those individuals and and what are some things you can do to kind of safeguard yourself. So I know it sounds somewhat extreme, but it does happen. And uh, what so what are some things that you would would uh, you know recommend if you're detained by a group or you're all of a sudden in you know. Uh, it could be detained by, you know, uh, a group of people that look official or maybe don't look official. Uh, but what are you, what are some thoughts on on that piece? So the first thing is obviously we want to avoid that situation. So one of the things that that I always do and I recommend other people do, and I think you alluded to this earlier, is when I am on the move somewhere, I call somebody who's outside of my situation, and and maybe there's somebody in a hotel locally, or maybe it's somebody I know back here in the U.S., and I let them know, hey, I'm heading over to such and such, and here's where it is, and I will call you again at such and such time. That way, if I do get scooped up, time is of the essence, and so you, know, you have to have a plan for that, a personal plan, how am I going to get through this, and then an organizational plan. If somebody, it, and again, that's something to ask your security provider or the organization you're working with, hey, if I get picked up somewhere, uh, what's your plan? You know, do you have kidnap and recovery insurance? Do you have, uh, you know, how soon are you going to have somebody looking for me? So uh, number one, avoid it. But if you find yourself in a situation where let's just say local law enforcement has detained you, uh, unfortunately, I've had that happen to me and I was just polite. and Yes, sir. No, sir. And the whole time I'm thinking, how do I get a call out to the embassy? So that's one of those important numbers that you might want to have in your phone uh, or on that piece of paper. Whatever country you're in, uh, whatever national nationality you are, I would go ahead and write down the number to your embassy. And so if I'm detained by uh, officially detained, well, I'm just going to kind of ride it out, be as polite as I can and not create a worse situation for myself. Second thing, let's say I get officially kidnapped and... I've been scooped up and they're going to hold me for ransom or some other nefarious thing. Um, first thing you got to understand, if somebody's going to snatch you off the street, uh, are you traveling alone? Because if there's more than one of you, likely you're not going to get targeted. So again, in the avoidance phase, I would never, ever travel alone if I could help it. Stay aware. Don't be staring at your phone walking down the street. If you have to check your phone, Put your back up against a wall where you can see all the way around you. Look at your phone, put it away, and move along. So now um, I'm about to get kidnapped. Well, um, probably nobody listening to this particular discussion has ever kidnapped somebody, but we used to train to do things like that. And if you're going to kidnap somebody, you got to do something to soften them up a little bit. You don't just grab a full-grown human being and drag them around. Um, and if you've had brothers and sisters, you know what I'm talking about. When the fight's on... You know, somebody's fighting for their life. So they're probably going to either hit you with a taser. They might hurt you a little bit. 
just to make sure you stop fighting. So if you know you're not going to win the battle, it's best to go along peacefully. Again, if you know you're not going to win the battle, if you think it's on and you can break contact and run, do that because that's always going to be a better option than going under somebody else's complete control. So once you've been um, scooped up and taken somewhere, um, it's, you know, are they, is it a kidnap for ransom? Uh, is it a politically motivated thing? And then you're going to have to play that one by ear. But the only thing you can really do to help your situation is put a human face on yourself as fast as you can. Meaning, um, let's let's talk to these people. Don't just sit there stoically, but let them know, hey, you know, I'm I'm a human being too. You know, I got a family. Do you have a family? And just enter into a discussion on a personal level so that they stop looking at you like uh, the person we wanted to kidnap and well, maybe there's a human being here as well, and maybe things will go a little bit easier on you. Uh, nobody really knows how that's all going to play out. Every situation is unique. No, it's good advice. Good advice. And I think, you know, I wouldn't be so sure that our someone from our group hasn't kidnapped anybody. No, I'm, I'm kidding aside. Kidding aside. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, no, I think, you know, that's important advice. And, you know, we like to think that these things don't happen, but we know they do. And, uh, you know, it, it's important that, yeah, you have to kind of put on that human face, human side and try to interact with them and, and, you know, let them know that, you know, you're, you're, you've got family, you've, you, you're here for, you know, humanitarian work and hope that, uh, you know, they, they see that side and, and consider releasing you. Um, there are cases where that's not going to happen, where they're, going to hold you it's a sort of a ransom situation or there's some political statement and you're going to be um, held there um i've heard very you know conflicting advice as far as then how you should kind of you know behave so one is you start with that kind of human face and try to you know let them know uh that you know who you are as a person i've also heard and this isn't necessarily from you um but you know that the you could also, at some point, if you feel that things aren't heading in the direction you want them to be, become the most annoying person in that group. Is that good advice, or is that advice that you think would maybe get you put you in harm's way? Well, I would be real careful, and I'd try to manage each situation as it came up. Um, I'm probably not going to be the most annoying person. I am going to look for a confidant, somebody there that will actually engage in conversation and I'm going to look for an opportunity to get away. If I'm being held alone, that's pretty unlikely. But escape is always the number one option. But you may not know where you are. You may escape into the worst neighborhood and wherever and stick out like a sore thumb and get scooped back up again. Now your situation could be even worse. But you just have to do the best you can to assess your situation and try to make the best decisions you can and uh, hope for the best. Do you have any, uh, you know, case studies, I think, oftentimes help us kind of think about these things? Um, do you know of any, uh, you know, case studies where this has occurred to people that are traveling for humanitarian missions or traveling abroad for other kind of work? Um, any any case studies that you know of that you can refer to? Well, absolutely. But one of the... Absolutely. One of the things, though, that... Um, I, and I don't have those right in front of me, Steve, so... You know, sure. facts could get a little blurred, but um, certainly we know of people that have been kidnapped in Somalia and were rescued by U.S. Special Operations. And if you're ever in a situation where that happens, 
and you realize that somebody's here to get me, uh, don't run up to them and say, I'm an American. Thank God you're here. Uh, just lay down on the ground and, and they will communicate with you. So uh, because you could put yourself in, in more harm if they think you're a threat. So not often are we in a position where a rescue mission is going to be feasible, but virtually 100% of the time, I can tell you, if our military knows where you are and can pull it off, they will try to do it. So if, if you're someplace, uh, just know that that no man left behind thing uh, still applies at the operator level in the U.S. military. Well, that's good to know. And, and that's also good to know that, yeah, if you see them coming, lay low. They're going to be making contact with you. They'll direct you what to do. Um, you know, that, that re, you know, relates to domestic, you know, operations as well. For those of us who've worked, uh, you know, in, in domestic uh, situations, uh, either for SWAT teams or other kind of rescue teams, yeah, we don't want you running up. We don't know who you are. Uh, and you could be the perpetrator. We don't know that. Uh, and so the best advice, you know, I think you could give to anybody is it, it yeah, it's going to be exciting. You're, you're being rescued, but lay low, stay where you are, let them talk, let them direct. Uh, they're going to want to, you know, probably pat you down. They're going to want to look yeah, at for identification uh, and just, you know, follow their orders and uh, you're, you're in safe hands. Um, just make sure that you stay safe, you know, during that operation. So again, you know, excellent, excellent advice. So, Rich, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, traveling with groups. So let's talk about some specifics around that. Um, certainly, there's safety in numbers, uh, but there are also some safety considerations, you know, when you're traveling in a group. So can you can you speak to some of your thoughts on group travel? Yeah, absolutely, Steve. And, and one of the things I want to kind of revisit briefly, and this happens whether you're alone or with a group, if you've never had a violent encounter it happens so fast that most people are left standing there saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening to me. By the time you have that thought, you have gone from this is about to happen to me to now you're a victim. So always, always maintain awareness. Don't ever let your guard down. And that can be difficult when you're traveling. A lot of times it's, it's late at night or early in the morning. You're tired, uh, especially if you're with a group. You know, there's always somebody else is going to be watching. No. You're the one that has to watch. And when you're with a group, if you're in charge of a group or with a group, but you really want to maintain headcounts everywhere you go before you get in the bus to go somewhere and after you get off the bus to go somewhere. Make sure that you're always in touch with your belongings. So I took that group around in 2019 and I made sure that everybody handled their own luggage. And that was a very unpopular decision on my part. And they were not happy with me. But nobody lost their luggage. Nobody lost their belongings. And it forced everybody to work together and stay together. And so we found by the end of the trip, you know, after 45 different uh, evolutions of moving, we would get to the luggage carousel. And the first two or three people that got there had already identified everybody else's luggage and pulled it off and had it in a group and everything was secure. So if you're with a group, learn to work as a group keep an eye on each other make sure you've got a full head count everywhere you go and uh, don't let anybody handle your bags outside of your group just just keep track of your own stuff because it'll go missing before you can say has anybody seen my bag so 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, one of those things I, I, I never like to have, you know, uh, my personal belongings out of my site uh, and uh, don't want other people handling it. You know, there's always uh, circumstances where people feel that they're doing you a favor by handling or carrying your bags. Uh, my brother gives a great story. He was traveling to, to India. Um, they came out of the uh, airport, um, you know, threw their bags uh, into a cab. The cab you know, closed the trunk and then drove off. Um, and their bags, <laughs> their bags. Um, and you know that to me now, I I always just hold on to it. I, I don't care if my feet are having to, you know, uh, get crammed in between uh, a pair of suitcases. That stuff isn't leaving my side. Isn't leaving my sight. Um, and and that story is a reminder of that. I'm sure you've seen you know similar uh, circumstances in that regard. Absolutely, Steve. And a lot of times, it's not necessarily the value of the things that are. Uh, in your luggage. It's the fact you can't do your job without what's in that those bags. And so why right. travel three quarters of the way around the world and then you, you hand all your operational equipment off to somebody and it disappears and now you can't do anything for anybody. And the whole reason we're taking these trips generally are for humanitarian good. So, you know, we have a responsibility to take care of our stuff so we can take care of other people. Sure, sure. Um, now, certainly, you know, some missions are going to, um, you're going to be remote, you're going to be, you know, living in a tent, you might be living on a compound or in a, another site. Um, but I wanted, you know, I, I know you talk about this as well. Um, I've seen you discuss these points about, you know, um, hotel safety, hotel safety and security. Can you talk a little bit about that for those opportunities when maybe you're staying in a hotel prior to deployment or during deployment? You talked a little bit about hotel safety and security. Sure. And when we're traveling, of course, traveling as a group, sometimes there'll be blocks of rooms. Sometimes you'd be spread out all over the hotel. If you're organizing a trip and you can keep all your people on one floor, please do that. If you can keep them between the second and fourth floor, we don't want to be in the ground floor because that's a great way to become a victim. Uh, we don't want to be above the fourth or fifth floor if possible because in an emergency, if you need to evacuate the building you don't want to be traveling 10 or 12 stories down the stairs to try to get out so if you can stay between the second and fourth or fifth floor that always makes uh, good sense to me and then as you check into the hotel just be looking around for emergency escape routes a lot of these hotels around the world are going to have entry control points where your luggage will get scanned as you come in and so there will be usually armed security people there so if you do run into a situation those are people you can ask for help uh, once you're in your room, keep your keep your door locked. There's no reason to not lock it. Most hotel doors will lock automatically. Let's go ahead and flip the deadbolt and put the chain on it as well. And that way, um, if somebody's just checking doors or if they have a room key, heaven forbid that the hotel staff might have bad intent, uh, they can't get in anyway. And so another thing that's in hotels and for years, I was like, I'm not using that thing. But until I got locked out of one and had to try to break into it, is those little safes that you find in the hotel closets. Uh, put your valuables in there. If you're going to be unable to carry them with you on your body, lock them away in that safe. It's it's virtually impossible to get into them unless you have the code. And so uh, just go ahead and use those. Um, and again, keep your valuables on your body. Um, identify escape routes. We mentioned that. So if you're up in your room and just think in your mind, well, what if there is a fire? 
What if it's at that end of the hallway or that end? And, you know, these are things that can become habits ingrained. Steve, you probably do this because you've traveled so much. But just make sure that you're always thinking, what if something goes wrong? Because the time to do that is before the situation appears. You certainly don't want to be trying to figure out which way am I going to go when you come running out of your room and the hallway's full of smoke. So uh, another thing I wanted to touch on as well, um, and we experienced this, Steve, when we were down in Haiti. You know, when you're in an impoverished society, the the philanthropic, the natural instinct is to try to give to these people. And I've seen some bad situations arise where people were handing money out of the windows of the vehicles as we were traveling through town. And all of a sudden, the vehicle is just surrounded by people and kids. And, and here you have these aid workers who are trying to do something good for people had created a dangerous situation for themselves and the people that are crowded into the street. So I just wanted to mention that uh, when you see people and they're begging for money, uh, please don't hand it out. You're only going to create a worse situation for everybody involved. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I, I've um, witnessed that. Uh, I, as you know, I love the country of Haiti and, uh, and have nothing disparaging to say about it. But I did see a circumstance where um, you know somebody was handing out candy to a bunch of kids um, but it was actually, you know, once they realized that all the candy was gone, their money was also gone. Um, it was, you know, a, a little bit of a detractor. And um, you, you see that happen, I mean, domestically here as well, where that can happen. And you're right. You're, you're already there to, to do a service. Feel good in that you're doing that. And uh, as, as tempting as it is, you know, you're not you're, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing them a disservice as well. Um, but just to get back to the, you know, hotels or, or anywhere you're staying, um, you know, knowing those alternative um, exit routes as well. I was um, actually this was just traveling domestically, but as with my daughter, um, there was a fire in the hotel. Um, we all came down into the lobby and there were just crowds of people trying to get out the front door. And, um, you know, there was a, another door right behind us. Um, and that's where we exited out. Uh, and. You know, but people think they, they know that one door. They know that front lobby door. Um, look for all those, you know, other kind of areas. And also the other thing I get into the habit now is looking out my window and seeing do I have a fire escape or what's my other route of egress um, if I have to go out a window. Um, and is it going to be out a window onto another roof, onto, you know, another roof to the ground or other fire escapes? I, you know, I, I know it sounds it sounds silly, but, you know, just making these plans and looking, you know, at your escape routes, even when you're domestically traveling to make sure that, you know, whatever happens, you're, you have a route of egress and you know what you're doing uh, in case of an emergency. Well, and in this particular time, Steve, you know, traveling domestically uh, can be fairly dangerous as well. You know, people are on kind of a short fuse when it comes to travel. We're seeing all these incidents on airplanes and um, it's just not as safe as it was maybe just a few years ago. I think we'll get back to it, but um, things have been kind of upended and shaken a little bit just post-pandemic here. I say post-pandemic, we'll probably be a critique for that because it's still going on, but um, yeah. hopefully we kind of get people's attitudes back to normal and taking care of each other again. But remember, all these things that we do in the hotel, they, they carry over to um, public venues as well. When I sit in a restaurant, my wife knows uh, he's going to want that seat. You know, when they bring us to the table and they <laughs> offer to seat her, she's like, no, he'll want to sit there. And I, I always look for all the exits in a restaurant because, 
you know, we're not here to talk about uh, mass shooter situations, but boy, if something goes down, I'm going to take my family and we're getting the heck out of there. And so look for alternate exits everywhere you go, convention centers, things like that. There's always other ways to get in and out. Malls, people walk right by. If you're in a shopping mall, which um, there are less and less of those these days, but there's a lot of them in foreign countries. And you'll realize that there's hallways a lot of times in these malls that lead all the way to the outside of the shopping center and they're just doors that are closed and i as i'm walking around i'm a nosy guy i'm opening doors and looking and seeing what's there because um i want to come home i want to you know live another day and so take it seriously and and it's all about you and figuring it because if you can't take care of yourself and protect yourself you can't help anybody else or anybody else in your group agreed i'd, I'd love to know how much security camera you film you're on opening doors at, at malls, <laughs> <laughs> peeking down hallways. A lot. I'm sure it's, <laughs> a lot. I'm sure it's quite a bit. Well, Rich, we're um, coming up on our time. Uh, any last uh, leaving points you'd like to, to talk about before we uh, wrap this up? So just a couple of real quick things, and then I'll run through them, and we don't have time to touch on them really, other than just to mention that um, – Food, food security, you know, can you eat the food where you are? Make sure that you understand what uh, constitutes safe eating and what's unsafe eating. And, uh, of course, cybersecurity, we just mentioned that water, clean water and clean drinking water. I've seen places where bottled water was just simply that, bottled water. It wasn't purified water. So pay close attention to that because sickness will take you out of the game faster than anything. Make sure in that little list of phone numbers that you have, as well as the embassy, uh, hire medical. How do you call 911 in some of these countries? How do you get help? And do you want their help? Or is there somebody in your group that you should be calling to make sure if, you, if there's an injury or an accident, uh, you know who to call next so you're not trying to handle things on your own? So that's just kind of a quick wrap on that, Steve. Um, any questions you have for me, I'm happy to answer them. Those are all great things to think about. And I think we probably need to do a part two to this to, to kind of review some of those other important aspects. Uh, I think food and water and, and how do you access medical care is a whole whole other episode, um, but critically important issues to think about when you're, you're traveling. We all want to go and help. You know, we sign up for these humanitarian missions. We go on these, you know, uh, um, programs to do to do good. Um, but it's important that you take care of yourself and take care of you know your group um, and come out you know uh, happy uh, and and safe and alive. Um, so Richard, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your expertise. Um, you know you're my go-to man when I'm thinking about you know, these kind of things, and I've always appreciated your your uh, valuable input. So thank you for that. Um, and uh, we'll certainly post in some of our uh, show notes, some of the websites we talked about, um, how to contact the, the State Department uh, and uh, other, you know, kind of those other resources that we've discussed throughout. So again, Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great pleasure. I definitely feel there's a part two here. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. And I hope people found some value in this. I'm sure they did. So thank you all for joining us. That'll be our program for today. Thank you uh, from all of us at World Extreme Medicine for joining us here on the World Extreme Medicine podcast. For more content like this, as well as our other courses, our webcast content, or access to the World Extreme Medicine Academy, 
uh, please make sure to visit our website at worldextrememedicine.com. If you're interested in formalizing your medication, uh, your education, uh, there is uh, a diploma and master's program in extreme medicine through the University of Exeter. They're now accepting applications for the September 2020, uh, September 2022 um, start date. So I would uh, encourage you to visit that. And then, of course, uh, even though it seems so far away, uh, November will be here before you know it. Um, make sure to join us again in Edinburgh, Scotland, or virtually if you can't travel there uh, for our upcoming uh, conference, uh, World of Tree Medicine Conference, uh, which will take place uh, November 19th through the 22nd in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, we're going to be joined by just an array of wonderful speakers. Uh, it'll be exciting uh, to meet you all there uh, uh, in November. So thank you again, Richard. Thank you uh, to our listening audience. Uh, it's been a great pleasure. Uh, stay safe. Stay happy. This is the World Extreme Medicine Podcast.